And my dad used to get paid in horses. So really? Yeah. Dare I ask what he did? He's a lawyer. Okay. Yeah. No, that doesn't make any sense. Um, is this when you were in England? No. Well, I, okay. Half and half. Uh, my dad was uh, here. Okay. No, no, no. My dad was here. And okay. we, my, we had, we were already, we already had horses. We loved our horses, but sure. my brother ended up with his own horse. I had my own horse, which was amazing when I was 10. Right. And my brother and I realized years later that he was, a lot of his clients were people from the horse world. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty sure that sometimes when they couldn't pay their bills, they were like, Hey, you want, want this Philly? Right. Right. <laughs> Did you ever race them? Were they that type of horse, or is this were, more of a riding? They were and... Arabians. We showed okay. them. Okay. Okay. And here's a question that is going to open a whole can of worms, but I yes. I have to ask, and I I should really text my family and tell them I'm not going to leave my office for a few hours. This is why with your hosts Heidi Hedquist and Luke Poling. What was your horse's name? Okay. I didn't get to name my horse. It was already named. Okay. It's not that exciting. It was Max. Okay. And Max was um, what color? Chestnut. Chestnut. Okay. Um, I mean, we had, so that was one that was my horse, but we had other horses. And some other ones were named. Did you get to name any of them? No. Well, because, no. Well, it, it sounds like you're, I mean, you're, you're trading in fillies and such. I mean, the we, more expensive horses ha- have papers and there's the yes, lineage. Yes, our horses had papers. Okay. So they and always our one have... horse we showed at and beat Patrick Swayze in his horse. Oh, okay. Was Patrick Swayze running against the horse? Because that's what you made it sound <laughs> like. No, him and yeah, no. Okay. We competed in a horse show and our horse won. And Patrick Swayze said how beautiful our horse was. Wow, because I've heard his horses ran like the wind. Yeah, well, she was like the wind. Right, exactly. Thank you for Mm -hmm. you're welcome. Through the trees. Right. Now does you did did Max with his papers have his whole lineage of a breeding and the sires and all of that he did but our and horse Vanny, volt, wait let me finish <laughs> our horse volt had more papers in lineage perfect but like max did it literally show the whole tree and it just ended on max or was it like max <laughs> well, think, no it, was, it still wasn't that great it was from I the guess. yes it was Regis. from the um the the farm that, or like the wherever, the, it was like Wormwood Maxwell or something. That's a dumb name. I told you. Highvolt was the other one. Highvolt. Highvolt. It was high voltage, but there was another high voltage. Ah, ACD fan. Yeah, we had stolen <laughs> spring. Stolen spring beat Patrick Swayze. Cody's wow. cowboy was my brother's pony, and his name was Cody, so that was perfect. Yeah, right. His name was what's it now? is oh, okay you said his name was <laughs> all like, right whatever and now we call him gregory um <laughs> yes but... we do call him gregory yeah. my dachshund had a really long name did it have papers mm-hmm. and that was my dog in england from england wow so it barked with an accent what mm-hmm. was its name so we called him chartwell chartwell 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what, where Chartwell is? I think I know where this is going, but keep going. So his name was <laughs> yes. Sir Winston Leonard Spencer Churchill of Chartwell in Kent. Because he was born at... In Kent. Like, or was he born at Blenheim? Was that oh, what the Churchill, Churchill was born Churchill at Blenheim. Born. Yes. Yes, yes, which is my favorite favorite. That's the house I would live in is Blenheim. Right, right. But and that's the Chartwell collectors shot glass. I do. I think I have one from both. From our new listeners, knowing that you as a collected shot glasses. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So Keep going. he as you were. But, but Chartwell was mm-hmm. his house house, like with Clementine and all that. I see. But chart to his friends, what was his... Uh... My dog, Charty. Yeah, Charty. Okay. Mm-hmm. I just... Do do English dogs run, like, on the left side of you normally? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's where they train them. Right. My and dog they, had little they... short legs. He couldn't run very fast. Right, sure. I don't know. I just have so many questions. How did he spell color? Was it with the U? With the U. Okay. Mm-hmm. That metal stuff that you would wrap his leftovers in? <laughs> Not saying it. Aluminium. Aluminium. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then when you said, to, do you want to go out? Like, I'm going to take you out for, I mean, walkies is the most English thing ever to call it. Um, but did you say, like, do you want to go to the loo? Yes. Do you want no, to? I said, do you want to go penny? Door door. Okay. What yeah. Do you want to do what? Door doors. That's okay. what he said. I don't know. It was mine. No excuse. My okay. Well, I feel like I'm a Mason. Excuse me. Back up. <laughs> <laughs> My cat's names were Fortnum and Mason. Fortum. Fortnum. Fortnum. You say that like that makes more sense than Fordham. Well, <laughs> you knew what aluminium was. Well, yes. You knew where uh, Chartwell was. I'm not a complete, um, you know, this is not Ninny? my first. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Ninny. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to begin with this. There's so many questions. So your first skydump, well, how did you get into skydiving? How did you, what was your first jump like? Okay. Uh, I jumped my first time on my 40th birthday. It was a present for my wife. And my choices were, uh, my, what I wanted to do was to either go skydiving or bungee jumping. And at the time, there was no place around here where you could make a bungee jump, so it ended up being a skydive. Um, I did the one skydive. It was a static line, the way they used to do it way back when, where you went up to a minimal altitude, got out of the airplane, and there was a line attached to your parachute. So as soon as you fell away from the airplane, you had a good parachute. And I did that, and it was exciting and thrilling and everything else, and I bought the T-shirt. And <laughs> over the winter, my family started talking about it, and we decided to go on my dad's 65th birthday. And it turned out to be a family affair. And these were all static line jumps. These weren't tandem jumps like you're doing today. 
like they're mm-hmm. doing today. Right. And it ended up being my dad on his 65th birthday, his 60-year-old brother, myself, my four younger brothers, and one sister-in-law. That's awesome. And we all jumped wow. on the same day. We went through the class. It was a you know hours-long class and made the jump that same day. And somebody at my dad's work said something to the effect of, well, anybody can do it once, takes a real man to do it twice or something (laughs) silly like that. And so Mm -hmm. we ended up making a second jump. After the second jump, my jump master said to me, okay, you've done those three jumps correctly. Now you can move on to the next step. And I'm like, what? I can keep (laughs) going in this sport? This this is something I continue to do? There's a next and step. I think that was the moment that I was actually hooked and started mm-hmm. skydiving. So what was it that hooked you? What made you just drawn in? Uh, the thrill of it, doing something that was just so extraordinary uh, and being able to accomplish it because there are some things that's not just like falling out of an airplane. It's There are some things you have to accomplish in order to do it correctly and not bounce. And uh, the fact that I could do those things in that type of an atmosphere made it really attractive for me. How many dives did it take before you, you know, your instructor said, all right, you're ready for for phase two. How long till do you still get nerves when you jump? And it's been 30 some years, correct? Uh, I'm at uh, 26. Okay, I'm bad at math. I went to art school. So... (laughs) 26 26 years do you still get nervous when you jump no it's not nervous it's excitement there's a lot Mm -hmm. of the same physiological things that are happening to you but by putting a different name on it and putting a different spin on those things it turns from fear and trepidation to excitement and anticipation so so you're jumping you're (laughs) you're getting better at it at what point along the way does it occur to you you know what i could take my pants off way back in the olden (laughs) days even before i started jumping and when they were jumping underneath the round parachutes Mm -hmm. all that did was controlled how fast they hit the ground so if somebody ended up to the point where they could make a hundred skydives on their hundred skydive tradition was to make it naked Okay. So on my 100th jump, I made a naked skydive. And again, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, <laughs> even though I didn't wear it. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, put it away. Uh, you know, it was, it was an accomplishment. I, it's one of my focuses in skydiving is to try as many different things as I possibly can. And okay, I did that. A few years later, and it was a couple of years later, somebody else was doing their 100th skydive. And I got invited to join that, and one thing led to another, and ended up being a few more over the years. That's amazing. Now, when you join somebody on their hundredth, are you naked as well? Is that part of the tradition? Oh that yes, you all yes, go? yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. How often do people hit that hundred? Is that sort of where it separates the men from the boys? I know that's a terrible analogy here, um, <laughs> and I apologize. Um, Yeah, it is a milestone. If you get to 100, there is a very good possibility that you're going to go on and do the sport for a period of time. The average um, 
we call it lifespan, but it's actually like an activity span of That's skydivers. It's usually, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's usually about, about three years. Somebody gets into the sport and they stick with it for about three years and they get out. If you've accomplished a hundred jumps in that period of time, there's a good chance you'll move on and, and keep going with it. And at some point in time, life will get in the way and you'll put it down. Yeah. But it hasn't yet. Twenty six. Not for years. me, no. 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 So prior to that hundredth jump, prior to the just taking it all off and doing the jump, had you ever done any other than the traditional things that people do in the buff? Have you had ever done anything else like a polar a naked polar plunge or gone to a nude beach? Uh, uh, a couple of skinny you... couple of skinny dips in, in like high school and stuff, but nothing Nothing professional. Nothing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. I am not a nudist or a naturalist. I have nothing against them, but uh, it's not your jam. I have no inclinations in that way whatsoever. And so then, how did you do the one jump on your hundredth? Join a friend for their hundredth. How then? How did this sort of snowball? gain traction and start to, cause you've done, I believe 805, which is the world record, which I have a follow-up on, but how does this gain speed? There was a person at my drop zone who had previously done more than a few naked skydives. In fact, she had done one every calendar month for a year. And uh, we are in Wisconsin which you is are. not known for its tropical climate. Right. It is not, yes. Uh, so <laughs> some of those jumps got rather chilly. Anyway, she had this reputation. And um, after my second naked jump on that other person's hundredth, there were four of us on that load, by the way. Um, from there, another thing happened a month later. And... Uh, another naked jump happened a month after that. So here we had three naked jumps. The two of us were on in on these jumps in different configurations with other people. But uh, we had done three months and we were going into the winter. And then like November turned out to be a relatively decent day. So we just continued it on. We started doing it and I mean, continued doing it. And we ended up at like three years of naked skydives every calendar month and then she moved away and i've just been continuing on myself since then now how do you i know the guinness folks can be rather can be sticklers on proving things and making sure that there are no illegitimate claims in their the record book for them to authenticate how do you prove to them that you have jumped naked 805 times okay first of all uh my world record is not a Guinness world record. Ah, I see. Guinness rejected me. And yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) Um, Overrated. Yeah. (laughs) Have you seen some of the stuff they put on TV on our Guinness world records? I mean, yes. Anyway, (laughs) um, their point is that they have a record for the most number of skydives. They don't have a most record for the most number of skydives under a yellow parachute or landing on one leg, that type of thing. They don't have subsets of records. That's their point. Uh, I contend it's an entirely different class, but they said it, it would be a subset. They have a record for the most number of skydives, which is like 30 or 40,000, but they uh, don't break it down into other things. So then 
screw the Guinness people. How do you know you are the one with the record of 805? There is an organization called the Society for each the and every Advan one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Society for the Advancement of Naked Skydiving or SANS. S-A-N-S. Okay. Um, I actually started that organization because there was no place where people had records of records. Um, everything you heard about a state record was just talking. There wasn't anything written down anywhere. So I started the organization in part to uh, have these records down. And in the... Uh, not public process, but in the skydiving world, SANS became a recognized uh, repository for records and that. And there's been a fair amount of publicity in the skydiving world about the fact that I make so many and nobody has even come close to challenging me. I was going to say, is anybody hot on your trail? No, uh, there's a guy in Australia. I believe he's got a couple of hundred. Wow. And that's the closest I've heard. But he spins the opposite way when he goes down, correct? Yeah, right, 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 right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> He's falling up. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so what other records are the are, are you good people at Sands keeping, apart from number of naked we, we keep, Um In the skydiving world, one accomplishment is a formation jump, where you plan ahead and you put 10 people out of the airplane and they fall and they all link up in the air. It is not an easy thing to do. So there are state records and uh, international records as far as countries go for the most number of uh, people in a, a naked skydiving formation. We call it a sands formation. Lovely. I like it. Yeah. So yeah. are there any extra precautions or things you need to be aware of before you skydive naked as opposed to when you skydive clothed? Uh, yeah, the I, I give a safety briefing before anybody that I jump with for the first time. Um, the most important thing is that you are still making a skydive. You still have to do all those necessary things in order to make that skydive safe, it's just a little extraordinary. Then there's things like fall rates. You fall faster without any clothes on than you do with a jumpsuit on. The fact that uh, in normal skydiving, people use their jumpsuits to regulate their speed or help regulate their speed. And um, without getting real technical, there are other maneuvers that the jumpsuit will help you do that are not available in naked skydiving you're on oh. your own um one thing like this is if you have a formation that is flying at one level and somebody is coming in from above they pick up their speed and then they have to slow down to match the speed of the formation with naked skydiving you don't have the brakes that you do so a lot of times you'll see somebody coming in little hotter than they should and they aren't able to slow down they end up going through the formation and taking it out gotcha huh i always just sort of i don't know when you're saying oh 100 jump you do it naked i, I thought it was a, a celebration of this it's not a an extra skill and there's a lot of other things you have to account for it's not a just a celebration oh, it's a sure. 
an extra test. Uh, let again, me, let me getting... let me go. I, uh, let me go Please. back a second here. Yeah. I have a yeah. story that's related to that. Uh, we have something called the Mo Rule, M O, and that has to do with what I just was explaining about the fact that no matter what you're doing on a skydive, and that includes other things too, like if you're jumping smoke or, or carrying a flag or you still have to make sure that you do all those things necessary to make the skydive successful. Uh, we were doing a naked skydive and there was three or four of us that were going to do this out of this airplane. And uh, I was one of the first, we were doing, we weren't going formations. We were just doing individual jumps. And I went first and I was expecting this young lady to follow me and I never saw her get out of the airplane. And that, thought that was weird. What happened was she jumped out of the airplane, but she still had a seat belt attached to her harness. It's, we don't use lap belts. Sometimes we use like a, a single point harness that just clips around the, or a single point belt that clips around the harness. She had jumped out and was dangling on the outside of this airplane by oh her seatbelt. And the people behind her ended up hauling her in and she was okay. She's had a bump on her head and she ended up making a naked skydive later. But that was what we call the, now we call it the Mo rule. Her name was Mo. So <laughs> she didn't do with all those things. She forgot to take off her seatbelt and exited the airplane. Well, it's nice to have a legacy. Yeah. Did she jump after she that? Did. Oh yeah. She made a naked skydive after that. Wow. Wow. It, That's. Yeah. Now, again, without getting too much into the weeds, if you will, jumping naked, there's a few other things that are not tied down that might normally be tied down, let's just say. Correct. How do you deal with that? And does that hurt? Um, uh, without. Well. When a body is falling flat, it's uh, the normal skydiving position. You're basically just falling flat. Your feet and your arms are equidistant from the earth. The airflow is such that it does not cause any problems for males or females gotcha. because just the way it is. Yes. Uh, and females have the advantage of having their breasts actually strapped down by the uh, chest strap yeah, that's part that's of the true. harness. So, so that <laughs> helps <Lucky> them. <laughs> <laughs> there are, there, there is, after you have completed a formation, the idea is to get as far away from each other when you open your parachutes. You don't want to open your parachute and turn it into somebody who's opening their parachutes. Right. So there is a... Uh, maneuver called the track and in the track you make your body in a position so you're speeding away from the center of the formation you do that for 10 15 seconds or depending on what kind of formation you're in and then you open your parachute and theoretically you're away from everybody else that track can produce a different airflow which can cause some people discomfort there isn't anything that we're doing that's going to be painful Mm -hmm. Well, the cold is an exception, but I mean, well, as yeah. far as the the normal uh, naked skydiving that actually causes pain or anything like that. Now, in your 805 jumps, I know you're always aiming for a, is it drop zone? Is that the right term? Drop What's zone, the... landing area. 
how often have you wound, found found yourself away from the drop zone, just <laughs> you in a parachute, hanging out not, somewhere? <laughs> not very often. Okay. Um, we are, the modern parachute is such that you have a wide range of control. So landing off is not something that is done regularly. Um, you can steer your parachute with the wind against the wind. It's just, you try not to land anywhere else. Um, that being said, it does happen on occasion. There was a jump uh, January, I'm going to say five, six years ago, uh, where the weather had not cooperated much that month, and I really needed to make a skydive. And I was on the first load. With the winds were howling that day, well out of my comfort range, but not out of my ability range. And I decided to make the jump, and so did a couple other people. And I made the jump, and my parachute was, the wind speed was stronger than the forward speed of my parachute. So I was going backwards. And I backed right up over the drop zone and just kept backing up and backing up and ended up landing in a landfill about a half mile away. <laughs> and this was November, and there was about an inch of crusty snow on top oh. of like eight inches of fluffy snow. And I landed in the middle of this field, so every step I took, I we call it post-holing, where you're just poking a hole in the snow. I ended up with bloody shins. People had seen what was happening. They saw me backing up over the drop zone, and they were there with the car when I finally got out of the field. But oh, we had to get out of the field. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, when when you're up there and you see things like that happening, there are certain things you can do to steer yourself and put yourself in a better position. We're mm -hmm. trained for that, and landing off is not a terrible thing if you know what you're doing. Wow. So what? What do you want to accomplish next? What what haven't you done with this yet? Um, I recently, well, not recently, past few years, I've been doing a little bit of base jumping, which base jumping is jumping off a fixed object, either a bridge or a mountain or an antenna. I would like to do a naked base jump. But for me, base jumps are kind of, iffy situation because I only do like the legal ones. I'm not the type of guy who breaks into an antenna in the middle of the night type of thing. Yeah. Right. So I don't get a chance to do that regularly, but I would at some point like to make a naked base jump. Is there How the same you... kind of, oh, sorry, is there the same sort of level after you do an X number of base jumps, you get to do a naked one or is no, it no, just your own? Nothing. Yeah, there's only a few people who do that type of Yeah. Do you kind of work your way up? Do you start with pants and then go to like basketball shorts and then cutoffs and then you can, <laughs> but most people, if it if they're going to do it, they just get into it and do it. Yeah. Fair enough. Do you have a favorite place to jump? Because you've jumped at over a hundred locations, right? Um, I jump at Sky Knight Sport Parachute Club in East Troy, Wisconsin, and it's about twenty miles outside of Milwaukee. Uh, that is my home drop zone 
Uh, I'm there just about every weekend unless I'm traveling or going someplace else. Or so that's your that's is your it, place. That's your favorite. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's that's home. That makes sense. <laughs> so this is not an inexpensive thing for people to get into, correct? Skydiving. Skydiving. Um, it, it's all relative, but any sport you get into is going to cost you some money. Sure. Sure. Uh, if you take up uh, motorcycling or even bowling can get expensive when you get into it. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's training involved. You just can't start jumping on your own <laughs> after five jumps. It's 25 jumps before you can uh, jump by yourself by yourself. And those all cost money. So you figure I, I, I'm roughly going to say twenty five hundred dollars, something mm -hmm. like that, for the training to get to a point where you can jump on your own. Sure. And then there's the parachute and the related equipment itself. Um, again, starting maybe two, three grand for used gear, and you can go nuts on it and spend tens of thousands of dollars. Sure. Once you have your license and uh, your own gear a skydive can cost anywhere from i think our lowest one is 14 dollars oh, to wow. 23 dollars for nice. somebody who goes all the way up in the big airplane to thirteen thousand five hundred cool. feet wow but even that you know you make you make four skydives a day like a saturday and sunday that all adds up sure so so does but, golf. I mean, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you <right>. love it. <laughs> On the other hand, there are ways of making money in the sport to pay for your jumps. Sure. Um, some people will pack parachutes. We hire packers to pack the tandem parachutes. Uh, you can work in the office. Uh, Want to spend some time? You can get your riggers ticket, which is the FAA's license to take care of parachuting gear to include packing reserves. Uh, every parachute jump we make, we have at least two parachutes. We have the main and the reserve. The reserve is packed by that FAA license rigger. As a general uh, skydiver, I'm not allowed to touch my reserve unless it comes out. <laughs> During a skydive. I hope you never have to touch it. Right. Yeah. You don't ever oh, want to touch it. Well, I've, I've, had, I've had three. <laughs> I've had three times where I've had to use the reserve, but uh, it's, you're just trained and you do what you're supposed to and everything's fine. Is there it doesn't any... get scary? Uh, afterwards, you, you, when you realize <laughs> what happened and oh yeah. yeah. But <laughs> you don't really have time it, to think about it, I guess. Uh, no, you just remember your emergency procedures, make sure you have altitude and execute. Wow. Uh. Is there a particular jump that stands out as your favorite jump you've ever done or the best moment you've ever had skydiving? Oh, there's so many of them. But my first solo skydive, just getting out in the air by myself, nobody around me. I'm not performing for the instructors. I don't have any objectives other than to pull my parachute, my, open my parachute on time and land safely. And I'm just up there and just that was just the thing that just really, really made it for me. Just up there by myself playing in the sky. Wow. What do you see up there that we can't see down here? Uh, pretty much the same thing that you can see out of an airplane. Um, 
it's it you're uh, most times you're concentrating on what you're doing on the skydive as opposed to admiring the scenery. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of jumps by myself solo and I get to appreciate the scenery more. Um, there are many times when I'm hanging under canopy because I have the sky to myself, I'll just do a nice slow turn and look at the horizon all the way around and all the lakes and everything that's around this place and just enjoy it. Um, occasionally we'll get, let's see, we are not legally allowed to fly into clouds. There, we have to stay a thousand feet away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally because a cloud sneaks up underneath you, you'll get closer to it than that. Um, that's just such a beautiful thing to see a cloud going by just mm-hmm. at 120 miles an hour and you're just falling right beside the edge of it. Uh, I have heard that if you go through a cloud, it's an awesome thing too. I would never, of course, have had that happen to me, but no. I have heard that, um, what happens is that you're falling at this object at 120 miles an hour. And as you get closer, the butt cheeks slam together and it's like, <laughs> you know, you tense up, but it's just falling into fog and, you know, you go through it and then the, it's beautiful below it and it's, it's great. Wow. For more information or to join the Society for the Advancement of Naked Skydiving, you can check out their website, which is at thesands.org. Be sure to follow Why the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our YouTube channel for some additional great Why content. If you're so inclined, please leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. Today's show is produced by myself and Heidi Hedquist. Our reluctant executive producers are John Sove and Sandy Stone. Our graphic designer is Samantha Mustonen. Our intern is Randy Jeanette. The theme song was performed by the Electrosynthno Magnetic Polyphonic Orchestra. This one's for Philippe. Thanks for joining us. Flash, we're coming home. Nigel, is that you? Are you here, Nigel?